Hey, it's Jill. Welcome back to Be You. So, you know, we talk a lot about what holds us back. What keeps us from actually having what we say we want so badly, having the life that we dream of, that we journal about, that we wish we had. And our guest today, who's a certified coach, she is not just a mindset coach, but she is certified in several modalities, including being a trauma-informed coach, somatics, etc., has a really beautiful and unique perspective on this. And she has designed something called the five inner rebels quiz. And she talks today about what those five inner rebels are, how you can identify them. She'll tell you a little bit about each one, which will help you figure out who inside of you is keeping you from what you say that you want. It's actually super fascinating. So I met Sam when we were both students together being trained by Elementum Coaching Institute. You've heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again. It is the most comprehensive program in the world, the most probably intense and amazing experience. Highly recommend it. And Sam was already a very successful coach when she went into that program, by the way. But I just fell in love with her. I loved everything about her. I was coached by her. We were partners in the program for several weeks. And I really got to see how she coaches and how she leads. And I was extremely impressed. So she's someone I asked to be on this show and it's finally aligned for both of our schedules. And I can't wait to share her with you. So Sam Cartagena is the founder of Ambition and Mischief. It's a community of ambitious women who are all doing the inner work together. As a certified mindset coach and breathwork facilitator, Sam helps women redefine their relationship with success to create more ease and freedom and embody their inner power. Now, listen to this. So Sam has worked with women in organizations such as, you know, Kind Bars, those amazing snacks that you see everywhere. Yeah. She's worked with women from Kind Snacks, NPR, National Public Radio, Vayner Media, which is owned by none other than Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, and Deloitte as well as founders of cutting-edge startups being supported by accelerators such as Techstars and Digital Undivided. So in the show notes, the episode notes, which you can find just by using your phone and going to whatever platform you use to listen to this show, just scroll down and we have episode notes every time. And on there, you're going to see the Inner Rebel Quiz, which she gives you free the Intuition Incubator Deck, which she gives you free, and the Ambition and Mischief Community Membership link, which sounds really, really cool. It's a really accessible and affordable way to access that community of women who are doing the inner work, high-achieving women, successful women who are doing it together, being led and facilitated and held by Sam. So please share this far and wide after you listen, message her and let her know what you got from this episode. I know it would mean a lot to her. I'm so grateful that she said yes to this. And here she is, Sam Cartagena with the five inner rebels. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to Be You Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. 
But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still build a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Hey, Sam, welcome to Be You Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm happy to have you. You know, I love you. I love your work and you're such a great person. Thank you. And we had a nice, nice connection when we were in school together last year. And I've wanted you on this show for quite some time and it's the perfect time now. So I know being a mindset, embodiment, leadership coach, we could go in many directions, but I love the idea that you had for this show because I've never heard of it before. I know it's unique to you. You created this because of what you saw over and over again as a pattern in women. Um, but let's just jump right into, well, you had me take a little quiz. So mm-hmm. I want to find out what my <laughs> result was, first of all. But um, talk to them about this inner rebel. What does this look like? And, and what did you see in women that caused you to create this? Yes, I love talking about this. This is one of my favorite things to talk about because I don't think we talk about it enough in the personal growth, self-care, inner work space. So I think the conversation is, it tends to be on the positive side, which is not a bad thing, right? Like thinking positively and, you know, glass, glass half full and all of that. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we are only having conversations about positivity, and what and trying to look on the bright side, it can tend to feel like we are gaslighting ourselves and like we're not being truly honest about what is present. And so in working with so many women over the past three years, I noticed that we tend to try and shove down the things that are not working in service of I'm just going to think positively and I'm going to manifest and I'm going to like do all of these things, right? So this inner rebel quiz and this inner rebel concept came up in seeing that there are patterns in how we as women tend to get in our own way and how we overcome this and how we shift the relationship with these parts of ourselves really depends on how we approach it. So if we are trying to hide it or fight against these parts is going to create a certain experience versus if we acknowledge that they're there and then shift the relationship to them. So inner rebels are parts of us that feel like they are getting in our way and not allowing us to reach our goals. So these inner rebels, we tend to think of them as quote unquote bad parts. So these are the parts of us where we may bring to a coach or to a friend or to a therapist or whatever and say like, I don't like this about myself. How do I change it? Right. Or I don't like this about myself. I need to like destroy it. I've even heard that term, right? We can get very aggressive with these parts. And this might, these inner rebel parts might show up as procrastination or people pleasing or perfectionism. They have all of these different qualities that we as a society have labeled as bad. And so when we approach them, from that lens of this is bad, we think we need to get rid of them. And so instead of wanting to get rid of them or fight against these parts, the way that I see inner rebels is that they are parts of us that are truly just wanting to protect us. 
And if we look at them from that lens of how is this part of me trying to protect me, then we get to have a conversation with that part and we get to shift the relationship with it. And we get to explore, okay, what is it trying to protect me from? If we acknowledge that there are no parts of us that are bad Mm -hmm. and just some parts of us that are wanting to protect us and wanting to keep us safe, then we get to have a different conversation than just some parts of you are good and you can keep those and those are acceptable and nice to talk about and nice to share with other people. And some parts of you are bad and those need to be put away and hidden and don't mention them, not even to yourself, right? So we get to expand the conversation about the different parts of us that exist. Mm-hmm. I love this. It's, so it's like internal family systems, parts work, Sam style. Like you took that foundation, but you made it so relatable and you saw this pattern, this part, these parts that show up in every single person that we're shaming and we're hiding from and we don't want to talk about. And I love that you said, then we go to get coaching or we go to therapy or we take a course or we read a book or we listen to podcasts and we shame those parts and try to then put all our energy in the other parts and amp those up. So, oh, so tell us what happens then. So if we don't look at it the way you're going to teach us to look at it and we just look at the other quote unquote good sides, good parts, and we shame the bad parts, what's the effect? What happens? The most immediate effect is we feel like we are always in battle with ourselves. So it feels like we are in this constant internal battle because we're fighting against this part that lives within us, right? When we're having an argument or we're fighting with someone else, we can remove ourselves from from that situation and it de-escalates. But when we have a part that is inside of us and we are fighting against that part, It's this never-ending, constant battle that is draining, that takes up a lot of mental and energetic space. And so when we don't look at it as something that we can work with and look at it instead as something we need to fight against, then it creates that feeling. The other thing too is all of the work that we do to quote-unquote be better, right? And all of the inner work that we do, it feels like we're working on this. It's like an endless pit. We keep, you know, shoving courses in there and shoving programs in there and personal growth work and hiring another coach and listening to another podcast and reading another book. And it never feels like enough because we are starting from the place of I have this part of me that I can't accept that is not good. How do I fix it? And so when we're trying to fix ourselves because we think we are inherently broken because this part of us exists, we never get there. Right. Because the realization, the truth is you are not inherently broken. There's nothing inherently wrong with you. This is not a bad part. Yeah. And if someone's listening, saying, I actually don't think I'm inherently broken. I've never thought that. But they still judge those parts of themselves. Right. Right. They still look at those parts. I mean, mine would be like my procrastination. It used to be my explosive temper, my rage, which I figured out the cause of that and I don't have that anymore. But my procrastination is still there. I was telling you before we hit record, I definitely will admittedly say I have shame around the fact that I run to sugar. You know, I don't eat like I know I I wouldn't say should. Okay, but it would be great for me mm-hmm. to eat the way that I know is best for my body. So that's a part of me that I would say I'm not proud of and that I hide from uh, my critical side of myself, my perfectionist, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. I've got that. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. (laughs) I, I genuinely love this because it's taking, you know, when I'm looking at how many people, if, if they say, I get that I'm not inherently bad, 
I, I got that whole conversation, but they still don't get this part. As you said, they're just going to keep running from themselves and putting the sort of, you know, the saying whipped cream on shit and wondering <laughs> right. why. You know, and it makes me think too of like, okay, so I know you don't have kids yet, but with pets or with kids, this may sound obvious, but I didn't get this till probably way too late, Sam. You know, when people talk about like positive discipline, right? With a pet or a child, I was like, yeah, that's stupid. You know, and I had a strict Mexican mother, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, sit your ass down before I smack you in the mouth. <laughs> like, you know, that's how I was raised. And so I just didn't understand that. And I thought it was so just weird and weak. And it, to me, I'm seeing a connection between that and what you're saying. It's like, if I am at trying to get my kids, let's say to do something, coming at them as the authoritarian has a very different response than coming at them with love. Mm-hmm. Right. It reminds me of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So two things are coming up for me as you say that. The first is there might be people that are listening that are like, I'm not inherently broken, right? I actually never had that thought either of I am inherently broken. And so I don't want people to think that just because you don't have that thought, this doesn't apply to you, right? The thought that you might be having instead, which I used to have is I'm a perfectionist or I'm a procrastinator. And what we do when we use that language, what that is telling us is you believe that this is who you are. We've taken on the label of I am a procrastinator, using that as an example, right? And we don't believe that procrastination is a good thing. And so underneath that, what we're Mm. saying, right, is, oh, I'm a procrastinator and that's not good. Oh, that's so good. You're right. That's exactly what we're saying. I'm a procrastinator and I'm not proud of that. I'm ashamed of that. I wish I were Right, right. I'm a procrastinator. Mm. Therefore, I'm not productive. Therefore, I'm not as valuable in society. And I'm a procrastinator and I shouldn't be one. Right. And the thing about identifying these inner rebels is identifying that they are one part of you. They are not your entire being. You are not inherently a procrastinator. You have a part of you that procrastinates. And when we can separate those two things, who you are, your being, right, your essence from this part, then we get to explore what role that part is playing in the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. So I am not a procrastinator. I have a pattern of procrastinating because... It was protecting me or it was like, like, let's talk about that. What, what's the good side of the trait that we think is bad? Yeah. Well, the reason is going to be different for everyone, right? So it's going to show up the, the, the specific situation or the specific thing that is trying to protect you from is going to be, you know, unique to everyone. What I will say about the procrastinator is usually it's the opposite coin of the perfectionist. And so generally, I was just saying earlier about value, right? And society and productivity. And so generally, the inner rubble that will come up for people that are perfectionists is sometimes they're perfectionists and sometimes they're in the procrastinator role. And yeah, Jill's raising her hand. Me too. And a lot of the women that I, that I work with and that are in my community are in the same boat. We go from procrastinator to perfectionist and don't know, you know, there's, there's no kind of in between. And so usually what this is trying to protect us from when we are in the perfectionist role is we think if I can perform really well, then I will be seen as valuable 
And really what's underneath that is then I will be loved. Shit. There it is again. (laughs) (laughs) And then on the other side of that, the procrastinator is, I don't know if I can live up to my standard of perfection. And because I think that the only way I will be truly valued and loved is if I meet this really high perfectionist standard, I'm just not going to participate at all. And if I don't participate, then I didn't really lose because I didn't give it my all. So as long as I still have my cards, I haven't played them yet. So I haven't lost. Yeah, I didn't fail. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I walked away. Exactly. God, that's so me. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Very all or nothing. Very, it's just so, oh my gosh, that's so me. Okay, so let's keep taking this one example. Keep Because there's so many you could get, but let's stay with the procrastinator. Okay, Okay, let's do it. So someone is showing up as a procrastinator and it could be specifically different to each person, but but basically it boils down to I'm avoiding the fact that I think I may not be able to do X, Y, or Z to my standard. And by the way, I have super high standards, whether I'm aware of it or not. Mm-hmm. So to me, that that's such a compliment. Like I, if mm-hmm. I were your client, that would feel so good. Like, oh, wait a minute. Me being a procrastinator is so judged by society, by my family, by my friends, by me, but even though the behavior doesn't serve me, it actually comes from a place that I'm actually someone who has very high standards. So that, that it can be a very good thing. Like I think of one of my kids, my son is the biggest procrastinator and he's also a perfectionist. When he does something, he does it so well, but he does get a bad rap for, of course, you've put it off. And I, I will admit, I've even said that to him. Let me guess, you haven't done it yet. And I'm catching myself right now like, oh my God, that must not feel very good. Mm -hmm. So yes, if we are in the procrastinator, perfectionist, kind of like back and forth, and we tell ourselves or we see, oh, I'm only doing this because I'm trying to meet a high standard, that can feel like a good thing. It can feel like, oh, there's no problem here. And maybe it isn't a problem, right? We can can have that conversation in, in a little bit. But let's just say that you don't want to be procrastinating. That's where the rub comes in, right? Do you want to be procrastinating or do you actually want to be doing this thing? Because what I see most of the time is that the women I work with, they have what I call these inner visions, right? So we have these inner rebels and then we have these inner visions. And this inner vision might be, I want to start this business. I want to start this podcast. I want to start this creative thing. And when they are in the space of procrastination, they're not in a space of ease and rest. And I'm going to, I'm not doing it now, but I'm going to do it then. That's not the space that they're in. It's this space of this, this inner battle is happening. And although they're not doing the thing, they're preoccupied with it. So they're thinking about it all the time. They're guilting themselves for not doing it. They feel this pressure. They feel this guilt for not having done it. And that's the experience that they don't want to be having. Do you feel like once they, they unlock this and figure out with you where it comes from that they beat themselves up less or they're, I'm assuming there's more coaching that has to be done because you saying it to me, it's like, okay, at least I know I'm not a shit. Okay. That feels better. I'm not a loser, but I still don't know how to not be a procrastinator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is where the juicy conversation happens around where is this inner rebel trying to protect you and what is it trying to protect you from? 
And this is where the conversation is going to be a little bit different for everyone, right? But in general, it might be, well, it's protecting me from judgment. It's protecting me from rejection. It's protecting me from not doing it perfectly. And then someone saying, yeah, I knew you weren't going to do that well or whatever the thing is, right? What is it protecting you from? And the thing is, when we go into perfectionism, we think to ourselves, well, I just have high standards. Like I'm just excellent and I won't allow myself to do anything other than excellence. And again, we can think that that's a good thing. But the reason why it's a protective mechanism, right? These inner rebels are protective mechanisms is because we think that the only way we can be protected is by performing at this high standard. And to the naked eye, that might not seem like a problem. But the thing is, as humans, we are not perfect. And so what we are doing to ourselves and telling ourselves is, again, you can only be accepted at this level, but that level is not sustainable. What we've defined and created as perfection is not our authentic state of being. So it requires so much more work and energy and effort. And what we end up doing is creating more and more distance between our authentic self and the role we think we need to play in order to be accepted and loved. Mm-hmm. So at some point when we were little, at whatever point, we created this part so that we could get what we needed. Like, I'll be safe and I'll be loved if I'm either, you know, quiet and hiding or I'm a perfect student or I'm beautiful or I'm loud or I say nothing. And so you're saying that at some point, that pattern went into play. And I let's use me, for example, I I felt like, which is true, by the way, <laughs> if I'm perfect, then my parents won't be, have anything to be upset about because they, they fought nonstop, Sam, nonstop chaos and screaming and yelling. It never had anything to do with me. But I realized now what I didn't know then. Why did I always feel like I had to be perfect? It's because I was constantly stepping on landmines and they were so upset all the time. And my mother was so sad all the time that I thought if I'm perfect, not consciously, but right, if I'm perfect, if I do great in school, if I make my bed, if I never get in trouble, if I'm quiet and I never bother anybody, then hopefully that will not disrupt things. And I had no idea that, you know, then that went into my adult life, which then turned into even middle school and high school, college, and even now the whole procrastination thing. If I can't do it perfectly, then I just won't do it at all. And then shaming myself and driving myself bananas when I'm not getting something done. Instead of just giving myself grace and saying, clearly you don't, you don't, you're not ready to do it or you don't want to do it. I spend so much energy shaming myself, even just not even knowing that tape is playing constantly in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, using myself as an example, growing up, my mom was so busy. She worked two jobs minimum, right? So she was always so busy and doing well in school was, it was just expected, right? So if I'd come home with an 85 on a, on a test, that was like, okay, cool. Like you could have gotten a 90, but sure, 85. So I tried my best to always be the best and right perform at an A level because that's what had her kind of stop her busy life mm. to acknowledge me and to say, wow, you got a 99. That's amazing. And to feel that like I'm proud of you energy 
was not something that I got unless I performed really well. And so I brought that into my adulthood. I brought that into my career. I brought that into my business, not knowing that that's what I was doing. Yeah. I just thought to myself, right? Even taking other people out of the equation, I only acknowledged myself when I performed at the 99. Me too. Sam, I remember those standardized tests in elementary school, seeing the bar not go all the way over to the highest. I was still in like the high bracket, but it wasn't high enough. I didn't go far enough over to the right. All I could see was the negative. All I could see is what I wasn't doing enough of. So for me, I didn't get any more attention from my parents doing well in school. But as you just spoke, you know what I just remembered? That's how I got love from my teachers because I needed to get at school what I didn't get at home. I was invisible in my home, invisible. It didn't matter what I did. I could have like solved the Rubik's Cube with my toes, you know, <laughs> in a 10 seconds and no one would have noticed. But at school, I was always bringing the teacher an apple and, and bracing my hand and always had the right answers and was always being the helpful student. And I love the fact that I was the favorite. I was always the teacher's pet. And I've realized now, that's the place where I got love and attention. So that's why I needed to be perfect. And like you, it rolled into my adult life and I didn't even know. Like, it's so good that we talk about this stuff because I know so many women listening right now who've, who've done a lot of work and they're, they're really, really aware of their triggers and their traumas. I know that they're going, Oh my gosh, I never even thought there was a connection to pe- between this one habit of mine or this label I have of being a procrastinator and whatever happened in my house when I was five. Yeah. And again, we can look at that and be like, well, what's the problem? I just, I know how to perform really well. I'm at the top of my class. What's wrong here? And there's nothing wrong with performing well. There's nothing wrong with liking excellence and wanting to operate at your best. Where things start to feel misaligned is when we think that we need to be that in order to receive love from others, or more importantly, in order to receive love from ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's when things get conditional, right? There's a difference between choosing to operate from excellence and things in excellence versus thinking that you have to, otherwise you're not worthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like how, if you don't do that really, really, really well, how will you feel? And some people would say, well, I really wish I would have done better. That stinks. And then they move on. And people like me, or maybe you, we will ruminate on that and beat ourselves up for a long time. Like I'm the person that would go give a talk in my former business in front of thousands of people. Everyone loves it. Everyone's clapping. It was so good. It was so good. And even I think it was pretty damn good. All I think about walking back to my hotel room and all night is I should have said this. I should have said that. I shouldn't have said this. I think I messed up on that slide. And I I torture myself for a couple of days after it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So what are some of the other... Will you give us the different inner rebels? This is fun. Yes. Okay. So we've been talking about the perfectionist, which is... I'm not surprised because the perfectionist is one of the most common ones. So when I initially created this quiz, I mentioned earlier that the inner rebels were born from me seeing patterns in the women that I was working with. And seeing that when they were talking about how they were getting in their way or, you know, the resistance they were facing, there were these five different patterns that were coming up across so many different women that I was working with. And so that's where the inner rebels were born. And there are five of them. So we've been talking about the perfectionists. And when I initially created the quiz and I shared it with my community, I thought, 
you know, maybe 30% of people will get the perfectionist. I thought it was going to be kind of evenly distributed. I think it was 90% of the people that took the quiz got perfectionist as their main inner rebel. Wow. Yeah. So for, for those listening that are interested in taking the quiz, what I recommend is taking the quiz with a specific goal in mind. So I called them inner visions before. And the reason why we want to use a specific example or a specific goal while taking the quiz is because we want to see which inner rebel is currently present for you. Because depending on what goal you're working on or what situation you're in in life, there are going to be different inner rebels that show up, right? To protect you in those different situations. Okay. I'm so glad you said that, Sam. Sorry to interrupt you, but I want to stop there for a minute because that is such a great point because, you know, I took the quiz and I told you I had a little difficulty with it because I was trying to think of, I was thinking of one specific example and I know myself well enough to know that I'm a perfectionist, but I could see that that's not what I was answering. Mm -hmm. And I, so now it makes sense to me. It's because with this particular topic, I'm still have the perfectionist rebel in me, but she's not the one who's making the noise right now. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And that doesn't mean that the others aren't present. It just means that they take different roles, right? One of them is at the forefront. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean the other ones aren't there. And so at the time when I released the quiz, 90% of the women in the community had perfectionism and the perfectionist as their kind of inner rebel that was at the forefront wanting to defend them. So these are the different inner rebels. There are five of them. So we already talked about the perfectionist and the way that the perfectionist shows up, like we've already mentioned, is wanting us to perform really well and wanting us to be perfect in order to be accepted and seen and loved. And the other side of that is the procrastination. So when the perfectionist is present, it likes to keep us in an endless loop of researching and planning and analyzing and creating a bunch of plans all in the name of, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to make this perfect. Like there's nothing wrong here. But the reason why this is can create this inner battle is because we want to be moving forward. We want to be taking steps toward whatever that goal is. And the perfectionist is telling us, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't go over there. Stay over here where things are comfortable, where things are known, right? It wants to keep us in our comfort zone, which is in this research planning. So that's the perfectionist. The other one, the second one is the people pleaser. And this is another one that is really common, especially with women. And this is also another one where people can look at it and say like, well, what's the problem? I like to help people. I like to be thoughtful. I'm an empath. I care about what people (laughs) think or, you know, how people feel. There's nothing wrong with that. And yes, I agree. There's nothing wrong with caring about how people think or what people feel and wanting to be considerate of others. That's not the problem. When we look at it from a spectrum of whether it's good or bad, right? It's, it's not either or, either good or bad. And we look at it instead as, okay, yes, you can care for people and care about how they, how they feel and what they think. And also, can you give yourself that same energy? Because what happens with the people pleaser is it shows up and it tells us to take all of our energy and put it outward, focus on other people. And when we're so busy worrying about and caring about other people, what happens from the inner rebel perspective is we don't have the time or the energy to care for ourselves and to think about what we want. 
and to put that energy into bringing our own inner visions to life. Right. So we might have a goal, let's say, to start a business and the inner rebel people pleaser comes up and it tells us, wait, wait, but this person in your life needs help. Wait, wait, but what about this person? Right. And there's this endless kind of to do list of people to take care of. And again, that taking care of people you love is not a problem. It becomes an inner rebel when you are using that as a protective mechanism so that you don't focus on yourself. So that you are not working on the things that you truly deep down want to be working on. All right. I have that one too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and honestly, most people, most women that I work with have all of them. Yeah. They just show up differently at different times. Yeah. Right? Isn't it crazy? So let's use me for example. So I decided to do this podcast and just, just did it. It wasn't going to make any money. So it's not like that was driving me. But I just made it a priority in a time in my life where, as you know, I had a lot going on. It was very stressful. However, here we are in the easiest time of my life. I've had so many great things happening in my life with my children and so much healing happen that this is a time where I have the time and the energy and the creativity sort of brewing in me to go create something. And I have a couple of desires and I haven't done shit. I've done nothing. I talk about it. Then I don't do it. I say I'm going to do it and then I don't do it. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. But when it came to the podcast, it was just boom, like nothing could stop me. And these other things, everything else gets in the way. Yeah, but my kid this or my grandson that or I probably should focus more on being a mom or yeah, I can so, so, so relate. Yeah, and... I think what you just mentioned, a lot of people will resonate with because I think this falls under the perfectionist where I think perfectionism and confidence have a a special relationship. And I used to think that I was a very confident person, but really I would only do things that I knew I would be perfect at. And so my confidence was conditional on whether or not I was going to perform well. And I would only do things that felt easy, right? If there was no resistance, if I knew I could perform well, then of course I'm doing it. And of course I'm going to show up confidently because I know I can do it. I see what you're saying. You're thinking because I already, even though I knew nothing about podcasting, I felt comfortable talking and communicating and I already kind of did that in my other job. So it wasn't, you're right. You are so right. It wasn't, I say it was scary, but it was just a little uncomfortable. It wasn't really that scary. Right. Right. And so many of us that are smart and driven and resourceful and quote unquote perfectionists, we have this experience with things. We're like, Oh, that's easy. Someone else might think that that's not easy, but I, it's easy for me. So I'm going to, Mm -hmm. you know, I know I can do this. And then the outside world sees us as this person that is just almost fearless and, and so confident and courageous. And we are in a lot of areas. And then there are parts of us or ideas that come through where it's like, oh, I want to do this, but it doesn't feel easy. I don't think I can do it perfectly. I don't know if I'm confident around this. And what ends up happening is those are some things we truly want to do. And we end up not doing them or procrastinating because that feeling of easy is not there. And for everyone that is listening that this is kind of, this is hitting home for you. What I want you to know is Whenever we are doing something that is new, that we haven't done before, we are stepping outside of our comfort zone. And that is inherently uncomfortable. 
what we choose to do sometimes when we don't want to be in that discomfort is we stay in our comfort zone, but we, the thought, right? We're in our head. It's the idea hasn't left us. And so what ends up happening is our comfort zone starts to feel more and more uncomfortable because this idea is weighing on us. And this idea is now living in our comfort zone with us and it wants to get out. Oh, that's so good, Sam. And so what some people end up doing is they they try to ignore this idea that's in their space with them. And it just creates more and more discomfort, more and more heaviness. And so what I want you to know is whether you choose to do the thing or not do the thing, there's going to be discomfort. There are different types of discomfort, but there's still discomfort. I feel like I've listened to a lot and I feel like I've read a lot and I've had some pretty damn good coaches in my life and now I'm certified as a coach and I swear to you, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that. I'm just going to just make sure I'm getting it, okay? So before we keep going, because this is good. So let's just say my idea of, I've been talking for four, maybe five years about writing a book and I have all kinds of rock solid I would say reasons to do it and evidence to show that it's a, it's something on my heart that's real. It's not just an idea, like a sort of like I should write it and everything gets in the way, not just the procrastination, but the people pleaser, the making everything else is more important than me, blah, blah, blah. And what you're saying is, if I'm hearing you right, that the uncomfortableness and the pain, let's say, of doing something that I'm afraid to do, which is write this book, because it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be is real. But what I don't realize is that the thought of wanting to do it and I'm not doing it and I wish I could do it, I have invited that into my comfort zone, into my reality, you're saying. Mm -hmm. So that's creating pain as well. So I'm either going to, which pain am I going to pick? Exactly. This is, oh my God, this is why I feel tortured all the time because no one's putting pressure on me to write this damn book. Nobody. But I feel this like pit in my stomach all the time and I feel like, I actually want to do it. No one's forcing me, but I'm not. And then I try to do the whole, I'm not writing a book. I don't give a shit about writing a book. I'm (laughs) never even writing that damn book. And then I still feel bad. Okay, this is good. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. And so this is where the inner rebel shows up. The inner rebel believes that you are safer in your comfort zone. It believes that if you step outside of your comfort zone into this unknown territory, something bad will happen. Mm -hmm. So we can personify inner rebels as like actual rebels, right? Like this militia that is showing up, protecting the border of your comfort zone and saying, you can't go out there. We need to protect you from the unknown. We don't know what's out there. And so depending on which inner rebel shows up is going to protect you in different ways. Another way, another inner rebel is the tranquilizer. What the tranquilizer does is it shows up and it makes us tired. It makes us forgetful and it encourages us to distract or numb out with things like TV, social media, food, right? As I'm saying that you're yawning, (laughs) there's something there. And so what happens with this inner rebel is if we choose to stay in our comfort zone with the idea, right? Not doing anything about the idea, but this idea is now present. It's here. It's not going anywhere. What this inner rebel wants us to do is start to numb out so that we can try try to forget about the idea, try to forget that this is a thing we're really being called to do. 
And so this inner rebel, the tranquilizer tells us, well, just watch a few, one more episode, right? Just a few, a, a few more scrolls on TikTok. And it's trying to have us numb out from seeing that this idea is in our space. Before we go on to the other inner rebels, what I want to say and want everyone to know is when we find ourselves in this place, we have two options. We can stay in the comfort zone with our inner rebel and try and protect ourselves in all of these different ways, right? Trying to not step outside of of the known. Or we can choose to step out into the unknown and feel the discomfort and be in the discomfort. But what ends up happening when we step outside of the comfort zone is that there's a short period of discomfort and then we recalibrate and that unknown starts to become part of the known and starts to become part of the comfort zone. And so in the long run, using your book as an example, Joe, let's say you started writing it tomorrow. It's going to be really uncomfortable, like really uncomfortable. And then six months from now or a year from now, if you have, let's say you had a, a practice of waking up every morning and just writing. Six months from now, that's going to be part of your routine. It's going to be just part of who you are and what you do in the morning, right? So the resistance is going to lessen and lessen over time. Let's say you choose to not write the book. Six months from now, Jill, the heaviness and the experience of not listening to that inner calling and not bringing that inner vision to life is still going to be there. If not at the same level that it is right now, then heavier. Mm-hmm. Oh God, my, I know my husband's listening to this episode and he's like, this is what I've been telling you. <laughs> this is what, because, because there are things that if it were not something I truly feel called to do and it really weren't aligned, right? It's okay to say, take that off my plate. I'm not writing the book. It's not meant to be. But for this, I hear what you're saying because it is aligned and because I really do feel a calling and because I really deep down do want to write it for good, solid reasons. You're right. Six months from now, I'll feel I've been feeling this way now for a few years. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure so many people listening, I definitely have had this experience where I have this vision on my heart and I, I've waited years to do anything about it. And that's how, I mean, we don't have to wait years, but we can definitely feel the difference between something we think we should do, right? Like I should have this kind of business or I should be doing this versus something we know we're being called to do. Those two things feel different. And the shoulds typically fade in a few days, a few weeks, a few months, even the thing that is calling our name that doesn't go away. Yeah. I have a friend. An example could be for her. It was her health fitness, being at it. I hate even mentioning weight, but for her, it was weight. Like, And she wasn't obsessed about the scale, but she was about 50 pounds heavier than she had ever been. And she she got to the point where she realized, you know what? I'm actually okay with being maybe 25, 30 pounds over. I'm not going to throw the whole thing out, but this whole notion that I'm going to get back into my jeans from high school, I'm letting that go. And she felt so free and it wasn't something, her book wasn't going to be written, so to speak. It was a different version. And when she accepted that, she had total freedom and wasn't, you get what I'm trying to connect here, but. I do, yeah. I'm not articulating it well, but. Yeah, and I think that's a good point to how we can co-opt other people's or even society's expectations of what we should look like or who we should be or what kind of career we should have and almost convince us that that's our own. Yeah. And 
yeah, so so it may not always actually feel so simple of like, oh no, that's not mine, because we may have convinced ourselves that this is something that we we should want, that we should expect. I should want to be at this weight, or I should have this career, or I should have this kind of partnership or whatever the thing is. It can be so easy to convince ourselves of the things we should want and then go down the road of trying to make them happen. We were talking earlier about like the endless void and just like throwing things in and it never feeling like enough. Generally, when we have taken on other people's expectations and trying to bring that to life, it never feels like enough. I experienced that with my with my corporate career. It was never enough. It never felt like enough, right? No matter how many raises or new jobs or whatever, it never felt like enough because that wasn't my dream. I just thought, well, this is what you're supposed to do. What else? What other option is there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or someone I know um, has an online coaching business, highly successful business. Last year, it hit a million dollars in revenue like eight months into the year. And she only been in business like four years, which is crazy, right? And she realized, I want to stay home with my baby. I don't care about these goals. It's not really what I want. It's what I think I should want based on Instagram, mm-hmm. based on what my coaches have told me, based on what other people in the industry have told me. And for her, it was, no, this is not my thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's keep going with the... Yeah. The inner rebels. Okay. So we talked about the perfectionist, the people pleaser and the tranquilizer. And again, these inner rebels show up trying to protect us. So we don't step outside of our comfort zone, step outside of the un, the known zone, right? If we want to call it that, the known zone. It wants us to stay where things are known and safe and comfortable because our brain perceives things we know as safety. And so it thinks, no, I don't want you to step out there because I'm protecting you. I'm doing what's in your best interest. But when we've declared that we want to do something, that we have a goal, that we want to write a book, that we want to start the business, that's that's not known, right? We haven't done that yet. So we need to step outside of it. And that's where that inner battle comes in, where there's friction between what you say you want and where you want to go versus where your inner rebel is directing you to go. So the next inner rebel is the strong one. And I see this again with so many women. The strong one is the person that is wants to take on everything for everyone else and doesn't allow themselves to accept or even ask for support for them, right? So they're okay with helping other people and supporting other people and being there for other people, but they refuse to ask for that same support for themselves. Now, this is different than the people pleaser because a lot of times with the people pleaser, what ends up happening is... When the people pleaser is present, it gives all of themselves to another person. And then there's an expectation that that person should do the same. Mm-hmm. Right? We may not always want to say it, but there, when the people pleaser is present and it's not truly coming from the heart, right? From that, that clean, yeah. authentic space, the people pleaser is expecting something in return. With the strong one, the strong one is helping, helping, helping but will never ask for help. We'll even forget to ask for help. This this is one that comes up for me a lot where I will be getting coached or talking to someone or, or something and they're asking me like, well, who can you ask for help on this? I'm like, I ha- it didn't even occur to me that that was an option, right? It didn't even occur to me that I could ask for help. I've been thinking about this whole thing that I'm working on as what can I do? What can I shift, right? And so the strong one believes that the stronger we are, 
really the stronger we are perceived as, then the more valuable we are. And Sam, do they, in their helping other people, is the come from for them? Because it's not people pleasing. Is it, I can do it better than anybody? Secretly, yes. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because I have that too. Just Secretly, let me do it. I'll yes. help you. Just let me do yeah. it. I'll help you. I'll rescue you. I'll say I can do better anyway. Exactly. <laughs> and again, some people might see that and, and be like, well, yeah, I can do it better. So what's the problem? Right? Like I have so much evidence for how I can do it better. So I might as well do it. But here's the, the kind of thing that's underneath this is when we are helping other people because we think that we're better than them because they need our help. What we're actually saying to, especially to the people we love is, Oh, you are weak and I'm strong. So I can help you. And then what we are saying to ourselves is when you need help, you can't ask for help because you will be seen as weak. Oh, yes. That's why. Uh huh. And so this inner rebel wants us to stay in our known zone because when we step out of the known, we're going to be in new territory. We need to ask for directions. We need to ask for help. We need to ask for support. And the strong one does not want us to do that. It'd rather us stay exactly where we are than step outside and look and weak. be seen as weak. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We'd rather be tortured on our own, sweating, trying to do it all ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And in some ways, actually holding the weight of the vision that is now with you in the comfort zone, in the known zone is almost like a, like a, I'll show you I can do this. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're trying to prove to ourselves that we are strong, that we can take the difficulty of life rather than using that strength to step outside of the known zone and do something new. Mm-hmm. Right? Do something, use that energy towards something that you actually want instead of just proving over and over how strong that you are. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm hearing as you're describing each revel how they're they're so so different yet they're just these nuances that connect them they're they're cousins for sure like for sure <laughs> for sure which is why so many of us have all of them right all of that if not all of them then most of them all right the last last but not least is the lone wolf so the lone wolf encourages us to disconnect from others because it believes that we're better off alone And this is fueled by the belief that we are either too much or not enough, which is just, it's the same coin, just a different side of the same coin, right? Too much, not enough. And when we have that story and that belief of, let's say I'm too much, we think, well, I can't really be around other people. I can't be myself around other people because they think I'm too much. I won't be accepted, right? They're they're jealous of me or whatever the story is. Or if the other side of it is I'm not enough, it's like, oh, people don't understand me. You know, I'm not going to fit in. Whatever the story is, it has us moving alone, which is why it's the lone wolf, right? It's this belief of I'm just going to do it myself and do it by myself because no one understands me anyway. And this is different than the strong one because with the strong one, there are other people involved. And the strong one wants you to prove your strength by almost lifting other people's stuff, right? Lifting other people's Mm, baggage and doing it better for them that they can do it for themselves, which is different than the lone wolf. And it's like, it's just you and you. You think either your world is amazing or not amazing, depending on the the origin story this is coming from. But either way, it's just you and you. 
And while the lone wolf might be able to accomplish a lot on their own, right? Their accomplishment list, their, their to-do list might be something they're really proud of. Deep down, they feel lonely and they don't want to be accomplishing all of this on their own. They're telling themselves like, Oh, it's, we're just better off this way. But really underneath that is they want to be seen. They want to be connected. They want to create the things that they want in the world and not have to do them alone. So with the lone wolf, it might look a little bit different as the other inner rebels because the lone wolf might be willing to go out into the unknown to create things, right? Just to prove to the world, look what I did. I did this. Except they get there and they're alone. Mm. And so them stepping out of the, the the known zone might look a little bit different than the other inner rebels where their unknown is them being themselves and having other people be with them too. Yeah, they may not get help from them, but they have at least a community. They have a few people that they're connecting with on whatever project it is. They're not exactly. just alone in their basement. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So different from the other inner rebels where the other inner rebels might show up and not allow you to truly accomplish what you want. With the lone wolf, it's okay, you can accomplish it probably on your own. You can probably do it really well, right? And then other inner rebels show up to help like the perfectionist or whatever. But can you do that and still be connected to people? Can you do that and stay rooted in your authenticity and stay open and allow the people that you love to truly see you? Mm-hmm. And can you do that and be happy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. This is so good. I love this. So share with us before we wrap up, if you don't mind, in it now that you know you saw these patterns in all these women and then you created this and you have this quiz people can take now that you have taught this to your clients and your community like what changes are they experiencing how are they feeling now yeah even as you ask that i like just took a sigh of relief because what i've seen is when we can identify first of all that we have inner rebels that we are not inherently a people pleaser or inherently a perfectionist or inherently just the strong one in our family or our friend group. And we can see that, oh, this is just one part of me. We start to create some distance. Again, distance between our essence, our being, who we truly are from that one part. And when we do that, when we create that distance, we can start to see it more clearly. And we create more awareness around when that part shows up, why it's showing up, what are the patterns around it, right? Like what, what triggers it? What tells it to show up? When does it kind of um, mellow out a little bit? And when we have that awareness, that awareness and that clarity then creates choice over time. Because when we don't have that awareness and we think this is just who I am, it, it's so kind of, I'm trying to think of the word, but it's so kind of intertwined and interwoven into our identity that we don't believe that there's mm-hmm. any choice around yes. it. Yeah. Right. We think this is just how it is. What do you mean? I can't, this is who I am. I can't change it. I've tried. I can't change it. And so when we see it as separate from us, we create the space to create choice. And we might see ourselves being in the people pleaser or seeing the inner rebel people pleaser present. We might see it. And at the beginning, choose not to do anything about it. And that's okay, 
right? We might see, oh, I, I see this people pleaser is present right now. And this is why I responded to this person this way. But what will happen over time is we'll start to see it. And the more we see it, the more clarity and awareness we have around it, we will start to choose differently. So rather than allowing the people pleaser to go, to come up and say yes to that person when you actually said no, it's almost like that second where you would have automatically responded with a yes. It's like that second slows down, right? Like you're in, you're in slow-mo and you can see the people pleaser wanting to come up. And in that moment, you can see it there, not needing to fight it, not needing to destroy it or have it go away and still choose to say no. Yes. So what do you see with them besides the action, you know, taking action being different and the response time being delayed a little bit? What happens when they they don't just realize this is my part coming up? This is my inner rebel coming up. Oh, I understand why that makes sense. When they realize that there's nothing wrong with it and there's no more shaming, there's no more criticism There's that they can let that go. How does that show up? like in their life and in that whatever that project or goal is. Oh my God, so much more ease, so much more flow, so much more space. And I think the like the bigger thing around this entire, you know, inner rebels and awareness and all of that is that it creates self-trust. That's the biggest thing. Like that if I were to choose one word around why I do this work and why it's important, it's self-trust. Because when we don't have this awareness and we just feel like we're battling against ourselves or why can't I just do this thing that I want? Why can't I just do the things I say I'm going to do? It creates a lack of self-trust because one part of us is saying we want to do something and then the other part of us is trying to protect us and then we're not doing it and we're not aware of what's happening. All we know is we're not reliable to ourselves and for ourselves. And what happens when we have this awareness is we start to build self-trust because we start to see the entire landscape, right? The entire tapestry of who we are. And we know how this part of us operates and how this part of us operates. And so it's not that we start to control who we are, but we start to have self-trust because we know how to be with the different parts of ourselves, right? We can be in relationship with ourselves from a different place. So I would say self-trust is kind of the the biggest takeaway from doing this work. And I do want to share one example. One of my clients, she runs a newsletter. And when we started working together, she was beating herself up for the fact that she would write her newsletter the day it was going out. So let's say her newsletter was going out on Monday afternoon. She would start writing it on Monday morning. And she had all of this guilt and all of this expectation around the fact that she should be more organized. She should be planning it a week in advance or two weeks in advance, or it should already be written by Monday morning if it's going out Monday afternoon. And there was all of this judgment around it. And it was, she was calling herself a procrastinator, which is the other side of the perfectionism, right? And so she came to our work thinking, I'm a procrastinator. And underneath it, right, was, well, I'm not producing at the level I think I should. I'm not as valuable, et cetera, et cetera. The story goes deeper and deeper. And what we worked on in the awareness of you are not a procrastinator, this procrastination comes up. In identifying it and in seeing it, she was actually able to release the label of procrastination. 
and see that the fact that she could work on a newsletter that would normally take people eight hours or 12 hours or a week to work on, and she could do it in four hours. That's not a problem. It's amazing. Right. It's a gift. Right. This, this is a gift. This is not a problem. And her releasing the idea that this is a problem, you should be doing it this way, it should look like this, allowed her to just be in her creative process of, I do this in four hours. And nothing external changed, but her energy around it, her self-trust around it, her relationship around it shifted. And removing the guilt and the expectation of what it should be shifted her entire relationship to her business because she was no and to longer herself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she was no longer putting the label on herself of this is what it should, and she was allowing her to accept this is what it is. Yeah, because it, it's almost like when I hear you say it in the way that she said it, it has this tone of what kind of business owner would do this? How irresponsible. Yes. And then you just flipped it completely on its head. And like, it's like, I am running a business and I can write my newsletter in four hours the day of, boom. And it's good. Exactly. It's totally different. Exactly. It's the perfect example of perfectionist procrastination, right? Because in her brain, a perfect business would run this way. And because she wasn't performing to that standard, she was then telling herself, well, I guess I'll just procrastinate and do it last minute. Neither of which was serving her. Yeah. Oh, I love the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of this with us. So how can they take this quiz? So they can take the quiz on my website, ambitionandmischief.com. You'll see it there on the homepage. I think the direct link is ambitionandmischief slash quiz. I'll share the link with Jill and I'm sure you can find it in the show notes. Yes, it will be on the show notes. You can take the quiz. And what's cool is I've also created kind of a one pager that gives you more details about each of the inner rebels and also a game plan on how to start working with that part of you. So if you're interested in that, um, make sure to sign up to get those details as well. Okay. And if they do that, and they're getting the email and and they want more, like tell them what you do. Yes. So I run a community called Ambition and Mischief. And it is a community of ambitious women doing their inner work and creating success with more ease. So rather than focusing on strategy and doing and planning and hustle, what we do inside of the community is we're really shifting the relationship to work and shifting the relationship to success, becoming aware of these different parts of ourselves and doing the inner work so that we can have more ease, have more self-trust have more inner peace so we can create from a space of creativity and flow rather than from a place of I have to do this and I need to push harder and I need to grind. And we're doing it all in a beautiful community with like-minded women. And more specifically, the coaching that happens inside of the community is mindset coaching, embodiment coaching, and also breath work. So we make sure that your mind and your body are aligned to the vision that you have, the goal you want to accomplish, so that you can really move toward that goal with, like I said, ease and flow and alignment rather than push and shove and hustle. Yes. And I respect that so much. And I honor that because I, uh, what they hear me say regularly on here is that if you don't identify the body, you might as well not even try because it's not going to stick. You're going to run in a loop. It's never going to work. 
And I, and I love that, you know, this, that's your specialty. So there are a lot of mindset coaches and people who can talk business strategy and they can say, be more in your feminine, get in your flow. But, you know, I'm preaching to the choir, but for the listener, if you're not with someone who can really hold you and help you figure out from the neck down, what is keeping you from where you want to be? If someone isn't trained, like trained specifically in how to do that, you know, you really won't get to where you want to be. It's not just that it will be harder. You won't get there. And so that's why it's so important, the work that you're doing, Sam. I love it so much. And I'm excited that the BU community gets to meet your community. Thank you so much for for having me. The last thing that I will say around the body is a, a lot of this work, especially with Inner Rebels, if we try to only do it with the mind, it'll feel like we're not getting anywhere. Right. Sometimes just the mindset work and just the awareness will have you shift the relationship, but it's really about tapping into the body and feeling into where does this inner rebel live in your body? And with something like breath work, which I absolutely love, the feedback that I've gotten from the women in the community is breath work allows them to tap into things that they just have not been able to tap into just using their mind. Yes. And you can do that on Zoom with them, right? Yes. I do virtual breath work session. Yeah. And the way I would describe it is so Sam, let's say she helps you and correct me too, if you want or add something if you want. But the way I would sort of translate it too is that Sam helps you find out, okay, it's kind of fun. What's who, who are my inner rebels? Which one is showing up? But then she actually digs in with you. And with breath work, for example, she does other somatic work, but with breath work, she's able to hold space while your body itself, not you, not Sam, your body decides what's going to unlock from where and how it's going to come out. And you don't know that there's something stuffed in the, you know, lower right crevice pocket of your such and such part of your body from an experience when you were four that you don't even remember. And you don't even know that that's directly connected to the procrastination or the perfectionism or whatever it is. And Sam doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why it's beautiful that she's also a breathwork uh, facilitator and practitioner, because I know from my own experience that stuff comes out. And then you're like, what the hell? I actually don't even look at my project the same way. And I didn't even have to talk myself to death in a coaching session. Mm-hmm. It's that lasting change. And that that's what I'm really proud of with our podcast, because that we are focusing on real transformation, not this bullshit clink your champagne glass girl boss <laughs> Or the just stereotypical woo-woo stuff, like like what really works, no BS, what really works, and what do you need to do to do that? And I connect them with the people who can help them do that. So thank you for being on. I'm, I'm happy that they now know who you are, and it was nice to catch up with you. Thank you so much, Jill. That was a perfect description, and I appreciate you inviting me into your community and sharing this message 